On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we welcome Emma Noyes. Emma told her mother she wanted to be an author when she was six. She grew up in, in a suburb outside Chicago and attended Harvard University, where she studied history and literature. She, studied, she started her career at a beer company, but left because she wanted to write about mermaids and witches, eventually publishing her first YA fantasy series, The Sunken City. She now lives in Chicago with her Swedish fiancé and miniature Pomeranian. Her adult debut, Guys Girl, is out now. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Emma. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're so excited. I will say something just before we get into this book. Sometimes how we book people on the show is often a mystery. I mean, there's so many amazing <laughs> books out there and our both Kate and I our TBR pile is like, you know, mm-hmm. overflowing. But something about this book, right oh. from the title, the cover and everything, I could not put it down. I blew through it so fast. I absolutely loved it. And then like days later here you are. So this That's is when crazy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> This I was, we it. say books find us when they need to or when they should. <laughs> and I, I agree, Corinne. This one, like, weren't you going on your Kindle to find a different oh. book that we were supposed to do? And then she's like, I started reading this when you need, you need to open this. I'm like, wait, what's <laughs> happening? And she's like, yeah. That is exactly what happened. That, though. I was on my Kindle <laughs> looking for a book that we are interviewing the author next week. And I was like, oh, I, mm-hmm. I want to get started on that. And I don't know what happened. I like pressed on it and it was delayed and yours came up instead. <laughs> And then I started reading it. And then I reached out to your publicist. I was like, I need a hard copy because I have to <laughs> like finish this right now. And she sent it to me. It came like the same day and I couldn't. Wow. So yeah. Crazy. So we're really excited to talk to you, I guess. Is, well, that's is like the, the nicest that. thing anyone has ever said to me. So <laughs> thank you. Awesome. Amazing. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Guys Girl? Absolutely. So I started writing Guys Girl when I myself was going through eating disorder recovery. And it was – I wrote it in almost like a frantic haze. Like That's, I had how, gone, it read, that's how I read it. It, it really, really – it's a like imbued in yeah, the book. Yeah, that's like, amazing. I, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. So I was about – I'd been in recovery for about a year and I had done throughout – throughout recovery, I'd done some journaling and I had worked on some other books. I was working on The Sunken City. And then I went through a breakup that was particularly hard and – I was, you know, the classic breakup story in bed, really depressed, didn't really want to, you know, didn't really feel like doing anything. And the only way I could get myself to like get up and get my life going again was by writing. Mm. And after this breakup, I relapsed back into bulimia. So I started purging again. And I was very honest with my, the, the people I was working in treatment with about this. They knew this was happening. And I wrote about what all of that was like. And all of those, and again, it was sort of like this fever just like pouring out of words. Mm -hmm. And all of that started to slowly become a book. And that's how Ginny was born. So I was, some of my own journal entries were put in there. And then I started imagining this character who I wanted to be going through the same thing that I was going to because going through because I just had never read a book that showed bulimia in this way. Like, And with my own disorder, like, I was able to stay in denial about the fact that I was bulimic for so long because the way it's portrayed in media is very much just, like, you stuff your face, you run to the toilet, you throw up. Like, that's it. But there's so much nuance to it and there's so much room for, like, denial and wiggle room. And and I just really wanted – I wrote the book that 
I wish that I could have read when I was going through recovery, (laughs) basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I want to start with Ginny because you just said, I mean, you, you imbued her with so much of what you were feeling and what you were going through, which is rich for material, but I would imagine also has its own challenges because, you know, Absolutely. there's the, this autobiographical element. And I understand, mm-hmm. of course, there's also fiction, I'm sure. But, mm-hmm. but what were some of the challenges in developing her, given how close maybe it, 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 you were to the emotions and the feelings? Yeah, the lines do kind of start to blur <laughs> a little bit between yeah. uh, fiction and reality. Um, but I'm I think the way that I was able to keep it separate was that I gave Ginny the sort of, not to ruin the book for anyone listening, but I gave her the ending that I was dreaming of, that Mm. I was hoping to find in my own life. And coincidentally, I ended up basically, I'm I'm now engaged. I ended up finding a man who's like my own Adrian. He's my own version of Adrian. (laughs) After I wrote the book, which was crazy. It was like I wrote him into existence. Right. Um, but it was it was sort of like a here's where I am in my recovery process. I'm at this very difficult position. I'm feeling all of these horrible, uncomfortable emotions. And then I sort of said, okay, in my ideal version of reality, you know, what's the best way that you could possibly get into recovery? And to me, that was like a house in Budapest with some yeah. amazing grandparents <laughs> yeah. and like, yes. you know, like, and a, and a nice boy. <laughs> yes, being uh-huh. nurtured yeah. and, and kind of enveloped in love first. Yes, And then exactly. kind of going through the hard work of it, of, of beyond <laughs> that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That makes, yeah, that makes sense. So I want to talk about the title and also yes. the cover. Yeah. Ginny is, she has brothers and she also has mm-hmm. a sister, but mm-hmm. she is very comfortable with a lot of guys around Mm -hmm. and so the title reflects that also the cover of the book though is so unexpected because I don't know you might think guys girl might we have something a little more masculine and here is this pink floral beautiful (laughs) feminine cover and then and but doesn't that capture exactly Mm -hmm. what Ginny is going through and like the arc that she'll have to make is Mm -hmm. like coming into her own self her feminine side and Mm -hmm. like embracing herself and all of that 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 has to to you know that comes with it absolutely Um, but I want to read a little bit if that's okay about uh, Ginny in the beginning it's right from the in the start page 21 Here's the thing about being a straight woman in a friend group of all straight men. There will inevitably be a complication. Either you'll fall for one of them or one of them will fall for you. Sometimes it's mutual. In most cases, it isn't. And in the worst situation of all, one of them will chase you. He'll chase you hard despite your repeated insistence that it's a terrible idea. He'll chase you until you give in, until you fall for him. Then he'll break your heart as hard as he possibly can. Wow. I mean, <laughs> first of all, that is just inc- incredible writing. Thank you. It's so powerful and beautiful at the same time. But also, for me, incredibly relatable. I uh-huh. am someone who was, especially, you know, in my 20s, I was definitely a guy's girl. And mm-hmm. for me, I have, I think now, I think that was true until I became a mother. And then that's mm-hmm. when things kind of changed. But I think it was because I was always assessing the people in the room and like what their temperature was and like what they needed. And there is now I'm grossly oversimplifying, but there it's a little bit 
simpler with a group mm. of men. And yes. women's needs are more complicated. They are more layered. They are. And so navigating everyone's emotions in a room full of guys is generally was for me easier yeah. than yeah. than women. And it wasn't like that I didn't want to be around women or whatever. It was just if I'm the kind of person who's a caretaker, who's like fixing everybody at all times, it's mm-hmm, a little bit mm-hmm. easier to do when it's when it's men but that but then well, attraction no i'm just kidding like, well yeah. and it's well it's that, what you true. what you see is what you get for the most part yeah yes. yeah but then <laughs> attraction is part of the equation wires crossed hearts get broken i mean i've uh-huh. been there too so tell us about having Ginny, having this way into Ginny. absolutely so i too grew up with lots of older brothers and i have i have many amazing female friends but I have always kind of been more of the tomboy growing up. You know, I wasn't playing with Barbies. I was playing, I was putting on a Viking helmet and like rolling around in the dirt. That's just kind of always been who I am. And interestingly, when I was going through, and I think there's this weird like dichotomy in our culture where like being a guy's girl is cool, right? Like, oh, you're such a guy's girl. Like you're not like the other girls. You're like, you watch sports and you know, whatever. And so when I when I would hear the word guys girl, the term guys girl, I would think, oh, it's kind of to me has almost a negative connotation. It's like a, a cliche, a corny, whatever. Mm. But I think there's so much more to being a guys girl, which to your point with the cover, like in a way, we're all even if you're a guys girl, we're all women. We all have to navigate our own femininity and our relationship to like what it means to be a woman. And that's a yeah. big part of what Ginny goes through. Yeah. And when I was in recovery, one of the things that I thought a lot about is how eating disorders, in in some cases, not in all of them, but are sort of a rejection of femininity. Mm. You are, by starving yourself, you are flattening yourself, you're taking away your breasts, you're taking away your hips, you're taking away the sort of classical things that you think of when you think of like an, a sculpture of a woman, sure. you know? Yeah. And, and hips are for childbearing and... And your period goes away when you are super anorexic. You know, you you can't really have kids. It's almost like rejecting your femininity. And so that was something that I thought a lot about when I was when I was writing this book and thinking about Jenny's character. Oh, that is so true. I didn't think of it that way. And I know that part that was part of my journey too, and probably why I became less of a guy's girl automatically Mm -hmm. when I became a mother because I had no choice but to Mm -hmm. embrace my femininity Mm -hmm. at that time. Mm I mean, I I made a you person. Had living I, reminders of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you did. Yes. Oh, can't wow. deny it anymore. <laughs> that is yeah. really interesting. I never wow. thought of that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I want to talk about Adrian. He also feels broken and unlovable, mm-hmm. but in different ways, and and it manifests differently. But but his armor comes from this mistake or misbelief about his role in his family. And we don't want to mm. spoil anything. Mm-hmm. But but tell <laughs> us about Adrian and your development of him. Yeah. Adrian came about as the sort of – there's this cliche, right, of the like I can fix him man where it's like – and I think a lot of us have experienced this in dating. It's just – it's so common where – you start dating a guy and you you think there's many amazing things about him and you're, maybe there's there's a great attraction and you get along really well, but he is, quote unquote, emotionally unavailable. Mm. 
And so I wanted to dig into what does it mean to be an emotionally unavailable man? And that was kind of how I came up with the backstory of, okay, what explains the fact that he has decided love is not for me? I don't want to be in love. And I don't, I certainly don't want this book to be a testament to like, you can fix him. He will change for you. Yeah. Like that's that's yeah. certainly not what I want, what I want this book to come out and be. But I did want to show him like his own growth from emotional unavailability to like kind of doing the own inner work to get to what does it take to feel comfortable opening yourself up to love. Mm. Yes. yes. Yeah. And it's not, by the way, if you read the whole book, it is not a testament to don't worry, you can (laughs) fix him because that's not what Ginny does. No, not at all. (laughs) But it does, you know, Kate and I have had many conversations about what it means to be an unlikable female protagonist and like, Mm. and, and there's an argument like stop giving them all this like sappy backstory Mm. as if to explain why they're, they're quote unquote bad women but I'm like sometimes that's the way it is sometimes like we have put this armor on as very much as Adrian has and you understand Mm -hmm. why and there's a real connection to what he's doing and why he's doing it and how that that comes across with Jenny so I don't know it's it's very complicated and nuanced just as you've said with everything the eating disorder (laughs) parts and you know like all, all of this book is really refuses to sell into any cliche about mm-hmm. these very complicated topics. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's really nice. Yeah. So, I, but I want to talk about the point of view because you write this in a third person. Yes. From both, not alternating chapters, but we yep. are kind of head jumping between Adrian and Ginny. Yep. I don't always love third person. Personally, for me, writing in it, I I feel a distance with the character that I I don't know how to, not many people can do it well, but there is an incredible level of intimacy in yeah. your third person here. I Thank just, you. yeah, it's, it's really impressive. So I want to know your choice to do that and also mm-hmm. to add Adrian's point of view, because I think you probably, well, you could have written it just from Jenny's point of view. It is, I think at, at its heart, really her story as the title mm-hmm. suggests, as the cover suggests, as, as all of it suggests, but you added Adrian and it was made the story richer. Tell me mm-hmm. about that decision. Okay. So I'm going to start with the third person. So one of the, this isn't necessarily the only reason that I chose to do third person, but my creative writing teacher in college, I remember the first time I ever took like a real creative writing class was in college, even though I've been writing my whole life, just like silly stories or whatever. The first time I ever took like real lessons in creative writing My teacher said, writing in third person is actually easier than writing in first person, which had never been my experience. I had always thought, because I liked to write with voice, so I always thought it was easier just kind of write with my own voice. And his reasoning was, and I don't know, I I think this, I kind of let this get to me in a way, because I think it was just, you know, one guy's opinion. He said, writing in first person is harder because you have to have a really distinct voice for the character and it has to fit the character really well and be different than what other people have read before. And in a way, I think he kind of spooked me from doing first person. 
Uh, so I mean, I had- that, we've had so many <laughs> authors tell us like something early on spooks you. It gets yes. in your head. Yeah. So yes. that makes sense. Yes. But go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no, that's fine. And my next novel coming out next year is in is in first person and she has a very distinct voice. But that one was – I found that voice very easily. And for this one, it was partly fear – Partly I kind of wanted to challenge myself and and think, can I do a third-person book but still make it intimate, as you said? Mm-hmm. And then as to the decision to include Adrian's point of view, I think it was really important to have his point of view because there are many moments in the book where if it was just Ginny speaking, his decisions, not only would they have seemed – I think you, you would have really struggled to empathize or sympathize with Adrian if it was just, you know, he keeps getting really close to her and then rejecting her at the last minute. You know, yeah. like yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you would say, oh, this guy is just, he's just, you know, she should stop seeing him. She should stop chasing after him. He's clearly emotionally unavailable. There's that yeah. word again. Yeah. So I wanted people to understand where his decisions were coming from and to see the sort of, and to me, it's almost like tragic, Right. Because oh, yeah. she, there's so many moments where like she thinks, oh, he just doesn't care about me. And, and then when you're does. in his, yeah, when you're in his yeah. head, he's like yeah. not seeing it the same way she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and what about the permission? And this, by the way, might have just been the fever dream kind of way that you wrote <laughs> the book. But I mean, you gave yourself permission to just write whenever it felt like you needed Adrian's, but we yeah. as the reader yes. needed Adrian's yeah. point mm-hmm. of view. You didn't yeah. alternate chapters. You didn't go, okay, like there was no neat and tidy structure here. Mm. It made sense to the story mm-hmm. as a whole. Mm-hmm. How did you give yourself permission to do that? <sighs> oh my and did gosh. anyone push back? You know, I did sort of just do, originally I did what felt right. And because I wrote it so quickly, it was just like, and, and I didn't write it straight from beginning to end. It was There was bouncing around and there was – the way I write is like if I get stuck on a chapter, I'm not going to stay on that chapter and stare at the screen until I finally finish it. I'm going to go to something where I'm like, okay, it feels a little bit easier, feel a little bit looser working in this scene. So I jumped around a bit. And then at the end, it was almost like putting together a puzzle. Mm-hmm. So I had all these pieces and I put together like a rough structure and then I just kind of filled in wherever – it felt necessary. Mm, that makes sense. That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, no, it really works. And this, we were just having a conversation with another author like this. Like, I think when this is done well, like you think things have to alternate or alternate mm-hmm. the points of view or the timelines or whatever, but, and cause it's hard to do what mm-hmm. you did. Right. But, mm-hmm. but as the reader, you really do, you give it to us right when the story needs it and it does it just mm. works um and when so it works really... you're like damn <laughs> yeah why yeah. can't we do that also when it works get... we ask about it because we're like yes that's right. <laughs> that's right that's I mean, right that's right and i get so wedded to like chapter yeah. length and like mm. there are just some one page like yeah, one yeah, page exactly. yeah. and it's almost even it's like a paragraph, paragraph like, yeah. oh my god mm-hmm. but it's perfect it's like that's yeah. all I needed in this moment and it also I helps think... you move through time very yeah. well because otherwise yeah. if I had seen like the whole like moving and I'm like no I don't need all that yeah. stuff yeah mm-hmm. have you have either of you read Girl in Pieces by Kathleen Glasgow no Mm-mm. okay amazing book I think it's intended for young adults, but I mm-hmm. read this right before I started writing Guys Girl, 
And she structures her chapters similar to how I do. So there's no chapter mm-hmm. number. There's no distinct length. It's kind of she just does whatever she wants. And it yeah. feels right. It, it yeah. like yeah, feels right. Is... And it was it was some of the most beautiful writing I'd ever seen in a book. And I think reading that was part of what gave me permission to be like, yeah. okay, this is this is a format I can do. I can I can do this. <laughs> yeah. That this is exactly is the wild. conversation we just had with this other author who yeah. said the same thing. She got per- permission mm-hmm. just from reading seeing someone else do it and you think, "Wait, mm-hmm. I, I guess yeah. I'm allowed to do this." And that's yeah, amazing. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and great. how and it's not a mimicking of of that work but right. that work unlocks something that's what we Absolutely. kept using the word we kept using right. was unlock it that it unlocks and gives you permission to just let go of, of all of those rules and structure uh, totally love it love mm. it yeah <laughs> okay let's let's talk about finch this oh god this, yeah. oh god <laughs> <laughs> I love it. oh god uh. and because this story is in part about a love triangle but mm-hmm. also just how confusing love can be. Mm-hmm. It's about making mistakes that don't feel like mistakes in the moment. Mm-hmm. In fact, they feel like love or mm-hmm. they feel like the right thing to do. But what's right and wrong is often about trusting yourself and being honest mm-hmm. with yourself more than some objective standard. So mm-hmm. we're clearly getting to Finch here. Yeah. Got any spoilers? <laughs> I mean, what role do you think Finch plays in Ginny's life? So he occupies that position of not only what happens if a friendship becomes something more, but what happens if it becomes something more and then it gets incredibly complicated and toxic, (laughs) for for lack of a better word. Like He clearly doesn't know what he wants. He's clearly hung up on two different people. And kind of – when I was young – okay, I'm going to – sorry. I'm going to tell a little anecdote here. Yeah. Yeah. When I was 15, I had a boyfriend. So I was super young. I had a boyfriend who I would later realize was incredibly emotionally manipulative and abusive. When you're 15, you don't even know what that means or what that is. And literally, like – I ended things with this person after staying together for way too long. I was sitting in health class. I don't know why in health class we were watching this, but we were watching a movie about abusive relationships. And as we were watching this, I was watching it and I was like, huh, he did that. Yeah. You're like, and check, he did that, check. And he did that. And he did that. And I was like, huh, I guess I was in, and, and he, like he never hit me, but it was yeah. like very much like, oh my gosh. And so when I was thinking about Finch, I was kind of thinking about the line of there are so many ways to be manipulative and disguise that as something else, disguise it as love, disguise it as I care about you. And and we get each other. Exactly. We yeah. get each other. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, And I think it's something that many you see in people who have sort of like narcissistic tendencies. They want – they want if you mirror back to them what they like to see about themselves, then that becomes like they love that and they want that and they want to keep you in your li- in their life. So he is very much a villain to me yeah. in this story. <laughs> He's a villainous yeah, character. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Even though, you know, they 
they're like, it's all fine. We're just, it's all fine. you know, like they friends. were best friends. Yes. We've been best friends mm-hmm. since college. Yeah, we had <laughs> this thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect answer. <laughs> so the the ending, as you've already alluded to, I think I can ask this question now. I mean, mm. it's, it's a happily ever after. It really yes. is. But it is very hard earned and which mm-hmm. I love. I'm not a fairy tale happy, happily ever mm-hmm. after kind mm-hmm. of person. I just don't know that that's the way the world works. I don't no. know that, that that is the glue that keeps a couple together for any amount Mm -hmm. of time so Mm -hmm. there is uh, it like I said it's really hard earned for both of them and Mm -hmm. we've already talked about a lot of ways that Ginny's uh, journey mirrors your own but your acknowledgments really floored me I don't know Mm -hmm. if you want to talk about if you want me to read it or you want to talk sure. about it. I, I wrote yeah. them so long ago, I kind of don't even yeah. remember them. Please read okay. them. No, I will. I would, I would love to. Okay. <laughs> um, let me just Okay. I entered treatment for anorexia and bulimia in September 2020. I was 25 years old and had suffered silently for over seven years. It was far easier to admit being anorexic than it was being bulimic. In society, eating healthy and exercising regularly, the two excuses that cover up anorexia are seen as positives, while there's nothing good about throwing up. Throwing up is dirty, private, something to be hidden away. The shame that I felt around bulimia haunted me for years, making it almost impossible to share the truth, even with those closest to me. I wrote this book because I didn't want to be ashamed anymore. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, I know that you said you wrote the ending, her happily ever after, as what you wanted. But it seems like even without a relationship, you mm-hmm. got your happily ever after with mm-hmm. this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do Absolutely. Want, do you want to talk a little bit about that and that process and, and getting to your happily ever after dropping the shame and kind of telling your story here. I would love to because that is one of I think there are moments when you can get lost in the process, right? And thinking about sales numbers and you know whatever and like all the things that kind of don't really matter because when I started this process, as I said in the acknowledgments, I was I was bulimic for a, at least a year before I ever told anyone what was happening to me. And I was – I only – the first person I told was a, a therapist, so no one in my life because I was so ashamed. And bulimia comes with so much self-loathing because what you're doing is considered like there's nothing attractive about throwing up in the way that there is if you're – anorexic and you're just running, you're going on runs and you're drinking green smoothies and whatever. And people are like, wow, good for you. You know, clapping, society applauds that. I was so, so afraid to tell anyone in my life that I was throwing up. And I knew my mom was the first one to tell me, you should really pursue this writing thing. You should really try and get your words out there because after I finally opened up to people about what was happening and I told my mom originally actually sorry I'm kind of jumping all over the place here the first book I wrote which was before guys girl is about OCD and that's the book that's actually going to come out next year 
And OCD also has a lot of stigmas and sort of misunderstandings around it. I told my mom about that book and she said, you've got to do this. You've got to put this out there. You've got to be a voice for people who feel like they're hiding and they can't be heard. And then when I went into treatment, um, I was looking online for just like anything about bulimia, articles, movies, whatever. And there just really was nothing. Like there were health journals and there were statistics that horrified me, like the fact that of the, all the people who go into treatment for bulimia and all the people who go in and they do everything right and they they do the therapy and maybe they're inpatient or outpatient or whatever, only 70% of those people actually stay healthy. And so that means 30% of those end up relapsing. Yeah. And and in my head, I was like, I I know from my own experience that most of these people are probably suffering in silence. They're yeah. probably not telling the people in their lives what's happening to them. And they're just going through it alone as I went through it alone. And like I said earlier, like when I was writing this book and when it came together, I was like, if I can get this book out into the world and into the hands of even just one person who has gone through what I went through, that will be all worth it. And since I, the book has not released yet as of when we're recording yes, this. Yes, when we're talking, yeah. But I have been posting, I started just kind of like prepping my audience on social media by recording some videos about my recovery process. And even just those videos alone, I've had so many young women and mothers slide into my DMs and say, I've never seen someone talk about this on social media before. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate this. I feel so much less alone. And that to me, like... Ugh. Yeah. When when I'm stressed about random like that makes it all worth it. Yeah. That's really what makes it all worth it. Yeah. It makes <laughs> sense. And it is like you said it, it's a it's a real like it's a real happily ever after in that way. Yeah. It is. And you did this with your writing. So I, it's my segue to I want to read a passage um from the book about writing. So I think writing is the only form of communication in which I can truly say what I mean. When I speak, I feel like a broken dam. My words are spilling water with a life and purpose all their own. I have no control over where they will go or what they will destroy along the way. But when I write, I have time to think about exactly what I want to say, to place every letter, every comma, every colon exactly as I intend. I control my words. I control myself. Mm. And I, <laughs> wow, I really, <laughs> really relate to that. I mean, I understand writing as a form of an outlet, which is your book is proof of that and, and the benefits mm -hmm. of that. And I also deeply relate to the idea that I can communicate something better, particularly something vulnerable around mm -hmm. feelings in mm -hmm. writing. Mm -hmm. um, I prefer to write because I feel like I will get it right. And then mm -hmm. I, I this, when I read this, because I can control it and say so I have control <laughs> issues, but who doesn't? But it, yes, but it reminded me. I was like, when did I talk about this before? I feel like this reminded me of something, and it reminded me of a quote that from Sally Rooney when Corinne and I did an episode oh, on conversation. My favorite. Well, so I thought this would might too. resonate. We yes. <laughs> we love her and all our episodes on all her books we go like down deep rabbit holes. But I remember yeah. that I read a quote from her on there 
on that episode. She was talking in that case about the character Francis, who was a writer mm -hmm. in that book, and saying essentially what, what you, you're you saying here, that Francis felt empowered and in control mm -hmm. when she communicated textually and how people you think that's a good thing, but she was saying, Sally Rooney was saying that there are also positives associated with vulnerability and weakness, particularly in our interpersonal relationships. And that mm -hmm. she thought Francis would be happier if she allowed herself to be weak. And mm. that just blew me away at the time because I thought, oh my God, this idea that maybe the control I feel by communicating and writing is really just to avoid being weak and messy and that maybe that's really where the magic is and that that's so I yeah. don't know I'm just curious your thoughts on this I mean you've hit the nail on the head for yeah. me yeah. like yeah. I even like as I've started to do podcasts to promote this book I was so mm -hmm. I was nervous before this I was mm -hmm. nervous because yeah. I'm like I don't get to sit down and do a Q&A where I write out my answers and I reread them and make sure they're great. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm going to go on here and whatever comes out of my mouth comes out of my mouth. But I'm kind of scared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it is yeah. like that is and that's something that as my fiance, this is my first like really long term, really serious relationship I've ever been in and the first where we've ever lived together. And when you're with someone, not 24-7 because he has an office job, but, you know, most of the time, and you're not just – because for my generation, so much of relationships happened over phones. Right. Texting, mm -hmm. you know, and you can think about what you're going to send them. When we mm -hmm. have conflict, I can't sit around and think about what I'm going to say in response to what he says. I can't send it to my group chat of my three best girlfriends and say, what do I say here? <laughs> I just have to say whatever is like on my heart and like it comes out the way it comes out. Oh. And that has been one of the biggest learning curves for me in being in a serious relationship, a lifelong relationship. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yes. It's yes. messier. I don't like it messy. It is. I'm yeah. not me good neither. at that. <laughs> me neither. But it's not that when it comes to feelings and vulnerability, I don't pretty sure that's where you need to get into. That's how so. you have to be. I know. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's always the lesson at the end of the love story. Yeah. Isn't it? Is <laughs> to be messy and vulnerable and real. Yes. And all the other stuff too. But but yeah, yeah there, that's part. Kate, can you talk about astrology? Because I want to hear oh. this. So we are a little bit obsessed with astrology on here. Okay. It's sort of just a way for us to, we use it as a tool to understand mm -hmm. ourselves, not to put us labels or in boxes, but to understand ourselves a little bit better. So we like to ask all our authors, what's their sign? And do you relate? Mm -hmm. I'm a Libra. Oh, my first season. My birthday was yesterday. Oh, oh look at that. <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you. It was a very nice birthday. We went to trivia at a bar and we got third place. So that was very exciting. Congrats. <laughs> yes. I'm a Libra and I I am such a Libra. It's crazy. <laughs> oh, my God. The scales, like the need yeah. for balance. I'm the youngest of eight kids in my family. And I am so the like, I can see when there's fights happening in between my siblings, I see every side of every story. I'm a little bit on their side. I'm a little bit on the other person's side. It makes it hard for me to have confrontation with someone else because I actually really can see where they're coming from, you know, yeah. and I find it hard to stand up for my own position, which yeah. is like actually 
it sounds like a nice thing, but it's actually like no. a pretty big detriment. It keeps me from standing up for myself. Yeah. Um, it's also exhausting, isn't it? It I, is. I have, I have Libra rising, so I really, I yeah. get this. And it's like, you just want to have one side. I don't want yes. to see all the other sides. It's like, yes. oh my God, just, I'd rather just be really into one side. And then I wouldn't have to keep trying to balance the scales. Yes, exactly. Anyway, sorry. Oh Go ahead. Gosh, yes. <laughs> no, I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm very Libra. You I don't really, have much yeah. else to say. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I love that. They There were a couple of little things I need to reference before we and with okay. what you're loving the reference to john mayer kate and i are going to see him next Stop. or next week already next oh, week next week yeah, i love uh-huh. his i, I unironically love his music of course yeah. we do too <laughs> oh. if there's something like folding over on itself you're like he's a jerk but i love him but I, but it's okay mm-hmm. because i know it's like yeah, i know he's I a jerk, jerk. <laughs> somehow i've i've backed myself into this is okay and so yeah we're we're excited about that and then also I'm not sure if this is the one about OCD, but there is a there is a excerpt from your next from a, yes. another book that's how to out. hide is in that, plain sight. That's yes. the OCD book. Oh, yeah. Okay, so and so that's already done and coming out. Yeah, next that'll be. Uh, we don't have a firm release date, okay. but I'm thinking. Hope I can say this. I think it's going to be September of next year. Okay, next year <laughs> soon. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That is amazing. We're really excited to to get more from you. Yeah. Here. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> And then we always like to leave with asking our authors what you're loving these days. Mm. Anything that you're reading or watching on TV or kind of Mm. consuming that you just can't get enough of. That's what we love to hear about. Okay. So right now, I just finished Divine Rivals. Do you guys read fantasy at all? Sometimes. A little bit. For this. Yes, exactly. Did you read Divine Rivals? Mm -mm. Oh, my God. It's... The writing is exquisite in a way that I haven't seen in fantasy romance in like a really long time. Like really like just well done. It's about two – they both work for a newspaper and there's like a war happening and they're rivals of the newspaper. So it's an enemies to lovers type situation. I had butterflies the whole time I was reading it. Um, It's the first in a duology so it ends on a cliffhanger. So I got to wait for the second one to come out. Yeah. This past summer, I read Every Summer After by Carly oh, Fortune. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yes. Yes. Had yes. butterflies the whole time I the read that too. Time. Yes. <laughs> um, yep. And it's fun. It's funny because How to Hide in Plain Sight, which comes out next year, takes place at a summer home in Canada. Oh. So same nice. as that book, which yes. is yeah. funny. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Something, okay. Something in the air. And then I always just have to shout out The Vampire Diaries because that's my favorite TV show of all time. Love okay. it. Love nice. it. Have you guys ever watched? No. no, but we are talking about vampires having a real comeback. They're right now, mm-hmm. they're having a moment again. Yeah. They, it's like it's like a cycle. cycle. Every 10 yep. or 15 years, the vampires mm-hmm. come back. We're here yeah. for it. We are it's definitely true. It really has come it. up quite a few times, Karen. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> yeah love that all right well Emma thank you so much for joining us thank Um, you for having me we loved guys girl we loved this conversation and by the way you know just for the record you are just talking and you don't get to write it down and get the but and you also mentioned like you're jumping around but you're telling a story the mm-hmm. same way you t- tell a story in your writing oh, and yes. you think it's jumping around but really it's exactly what we need to hear when we need to hear it so yeah. 
It's yeah. like Thank your you. book. Yes. That's like, it is. That's, it's like your book. Yes. 100%. That is incredibly validating. <laughs> I'm telling you. Thank you, you so I'm much. Yes. Have somebody listen to this and, and they'll, I'm sure they'll, they'll agree. It's so. true. It's yeah. absolutely Aww. true. Yes. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Oh, of course. Thank you. <laughs>